Hello, welcome to episode two of the Exposition Break podcast, your home for video game news, critiques, and industry analysis. I'm Blake Foley, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Gandert. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing all right. Uh, had a couple glasses of wine. I'm settled in to talk about uh, an exciting last week, or not exciting. I don't know. If, if, if you're most journalists, I think... They considered uh, E3 to be a bit of a bust, but we can we can talk about that. Yeah, I've, I found the responses across the board to be surprising. Um, like the things people are super excited about versus the things that people thought were disappointing. You know, there's been an overwhelming sentiment for people that think Nintendo was a huge disappointment. But I think that comes down in many ways to how much you've been paying attention and how much I mean, that's that sounds pretty damning to say that all oh, the journalists aren't paying attention. But, you know, N- Nintendo's offering people are saying, well, it was just smash. And I was looking back over everything and they've kind of got a lot on their slate. And I I find it hard to call their lineup disappointing. I I think one of the main things about E3, and this has actually really, really hurt companies in the past, including some ramifications today, is people want surprise. And people are more excited about just something coming out of left field than they are about um, quality or polish. And... Um, this is something you find within uh, any industry, but I feel like E3 is the biggest culmination of that within video games. And when you look at a lot of bad or weird things going on from previous E3s, uh, you'll notice a lot of it comes from people just wanting to say, oh yeah, well we got a bigger surprise. So you can go way back and look at some of the stranger things, uh, uh, the Saturn a lot of things going on with that were really insane. Like, look what we're have happening right now today. Um, remember The Last Guardian was announced at an E3 like six years before it came out because they needed to show it. Uh, one of the biggest games from like, two years ago at E3 uh, is the Shenmue. Um, Shenmue 3. We still have not seen more than like a screenshot of that game. But it was huge announcement at the time. Why? Because it was a surprise. No, absolutely. And then you look back at, I think it was the 2015. I could be getting the year wrong. I probably am. But Microsoft's showing at E3 a couple years ago where they announced quite a few games that uh, either got canceled, still aren't out yet, or are being released in a totally different form. I think that was the year of Scalebound, Crackdown, uh phantom dust among other things and we see time and time again yeah stuff gets announced too early and people get disappointed time and time again that it's not out this year it's not out next year you know bethesda announced skyrim 6 or sorry not skyrim 6 elder scrolls 6 um and i'd be surprised if if that game exists in any form at this point beyond design documents I, you know, I'm reminded it and Microsoft 2015. I, yeah, I believe that was the one uh, when they showed uh, Crackdown and uh, Scalebound and such. I was like, wow, am I making the wrong decision with my PlayStation 4? Like, this sounds like cool stuff. I love Platinum. Uh, it, they kind of they convinced me that they might have something interesting based on very, very little. So one of the things that I 
actually really liked about this E3 compared with many other ones. I don't think, with a couple very small exceptions, um, this was not an E3 filled with vaporware. This is an E3 that was filled with um, a lot of playable demos, uh, playable uh, trailers featuring play uh, actual gameplay footage, uh, a general sense of things coming out. Um, unfortunately, weirdly, not this year, but uh, as some have commented, February, March next year is going to be huge. Yeah, February is going to be amazing. <laughs> um, and yeah, the other thing is that, you know, in the same journalists or in same fans, I don't want to keep throwing this on journalists. There's been overwhelming comment sections and such that have been kind of railing on stuff. And I think the fact of the matter is E3, we've been wondering how E3 is going to change for years because it has to. And we're really starting to see that shake out. We live in a digital age where things leak constantly. Uh, these publishers and developers no longer need the normal press outlets that they used to. These days they can turn, they can post something on their own YouTube channel and get as many hits as they would if they got the front page of IGN. Uh, they could hand it out to a Twitch streamer. There, there's so many options these days that the impact of announcing at E3 is not what it used to be. And they realize that you can see it in the way that things were scheduled. The big press conferences were almost all done before the show even started. Nintendo was the last one. And that was on the first actual day of E3. So the, this, the way these things work has changed and people look at Nintendo like they did something crazy, but they've kind of been they were kind of the first ones to pick up on this trend and they're they're doing very much what they've kind of always done for the last three or four years you know i really really like nintendo's method and they are one of the few companies that never um they don't tell they i can't remember the last time i heard about a nintendo game and lost interest by the time it was out I think that there, uh, and when that's happened, it has been very few and far between. I think the Yoshi game right now, which I don't, I don't know how many people are that excited, is one of the few things where oh, they made a big thing about it, and uh, it's gotten delayed to two thousand nineteen. Uh, some of the hype has worn off, but I think that's kind of why they. That's the exception to the rule. That's part of why they don't do that is. Um, they can announce the Smash Brothers game and have it coming out later this year. You know, less than uh, less than a year is ideal, but they seem to be doing a less than six months sort of thing. So I, I like it. I feel like it works. I don't feel like it has hurt them and it allows them to do a lot better direct messaging. You know, uh, I expect before the next Fire Emblem to come out, there will be a Nintendo Direct with 20 minutes of stuff just about it. This was essentially a Nintendo Direct just about Smash with a few other things because it's E3. But mm -hmm. uh, cool, you know, like that's a totally fine way of uh, messaging their big hits. And I actually think that you can see um, Microsoft and Sony moving a little bit more towards this model, particularly Sony. They told people beforehand, we're going to show off four games. They showed off four games. There were little hints in the same way Nintendo did of like a couple other things, but it was basically, 
These are our four uh, tentpole exclusives. Uh, they're the big, they're the big deal. Everything else you'll find out some way or another, and let's make a thing about these. So, uh, yeah, I I liked it. I didn't have any problem with it. I like anyone. I love a surprise. Like everyone loves something. But if I had a choice between dumb surprises and intelligent actual information, I will take this. You know, it's less exciting, but I think it's better. It's just easy to uh, want the excitement, even though it, it's kind of a cheap thrill. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's, you're, you're 100% right. And the other thing is, is like part of this whole E3 cycle too, is this also means that things don't get lost. There were, even with, even with Nintendo focusing so heavily on Smash Brothers, I was watching a brief trailer on that came through my Facebook feed this morning that showed everything. There was basically a recap of all their E3 stuff. And I was like, oh, right, there's a whole bunch here that I had even already forgotten about because the rush of information is so big. And you know me, I'm a huge Metroid fan. Metroid Prime 4 was revealed last year with a logo. And people <laughs> are going, oh, how could they not show it? And like, they're not ready to. You know, if, if they can't give that game the time that it needs, what's the point? I, you know, I've also, as you have uh, read enough from developers, and it's in fact my favorite type of writing to read about games is from people actually making them. Uh, I would love to actually know more people involved with making games and just talk to them about it. But one of the things that you always hear about is how many man hours were lost making the E3 demo or making the E3 mm -hmm. cutscenes, making the... It's like, well, then we lost three months of work because we had to show something for that. And uh, if, it, if it came between three months of lost work for them to make a Metroid thing or them to just be like, well, you know, it's not canceled. It's still happening. You saw the logo. Uh, it'll be out someday. I prefer them spending that extra polish because there's only so much money in any budget. I'd, I'd prefer that polish go towards the game and uh, yeah. less smoke and mirrors, more of uh, actually towards that. And I think uh, one of the things that people complained about with a, something I, I know we will talk more about uh, with Death Stranding was... Um, <laughs> Uh, people talking about how they didn't see enough gameplay. And one of the things I think people fail to realize is how much work would go towards unfinalized gameplay that has to feel finalized and that it is actually a bad thing for making the game. Like, it's making the E3 demo doesn't help towards a final polish. All it helps towards is making the E3 demo. And mm -hmm. it, it's a different sort of thing. So uh, all the demos that I've seen people post videos of and, and such have all seemed, uh, they've all seemed like the actual games. It, it hasn't felt like a, a big waste. And uh, yeah, I, I like that as well. I, I felt in general the smallest amount of smoke and mirrors, just marketing nonsense of any E3. So cool i i mean it's felt more <laughs> adult almost like you could see this e3 being closer to something that another industry would do 
Yeah, and it just it wasn't so built around hype. It was built around reality. Um, and I'm looking at the list. You know, we put together a quick list in the doc here of the big things that we could think of that everyone announced, and it's a great list. There's there's no big publisher here that I look and go, man, that's a disappointment. So, I mean, this this year is a great year. I don't see how it could be seen as anything else. I think people looked at individual shows and said that's a poor show. And I'd agree in some cases. I think Sony's show was kind of crappy, but not because of what they showed, but because of the structure. Um, there was some criticism around Square Enix for their show. But you look at the things that they announced, and a lot of their stuff was actually spread across other Uh, shows i mean we saw kingdom hearts i don't know how many times but in like octopath and there's all those things that existed on other stages so you can't say that square had a poor showing it just wasn't their big show where they chose to reveal those things and overall yeah i'm I'm super excited about every bit of it yeah i i think that it was it was we both were actually pretty happy with uh what the future entails so with that in mind, I want to talk about what was your, um, what was the number one thing that you're looking forward to in the future? Which isn't to say the number one game that was the best showing here. I'm a little bit more interested in just what felt like the uh, the game you're most excited about after the at, now that the whole thing's done. I mean, I, th- I think you feel you could probably guess this one, but um, I'm still uh, Death Stranding. I don't I don't even think it was necessarily a great showing for that game. I'm very happy with what they showed. I know a lot of people aren't because it just showed some very, very, very basic gameplay and didn't tell us much more about the game at all, which I'm actually very happy about myself. Um, I'm happy to know that that game exists with gameplay, Sorry, I'm fighting with a cat on my desk right now. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm happy that they showed gameplay. I know that a game exists. It isn't just a series of cutscenes. And from here on out, that's all I need to know about that game. I'm not going to say it's a good game. It could very well be a huge disappointment. But even if it is that, I know when I get that in my hands and 2020 or whenever that thing actually comes out i'm at least gonna feel strong feelings one way or another either i'm gonna be in awe i'm gonna be super disappointed i'm gonna be confused it's something and i'm i'm just can't wait after watching that trailer to sit down with that game alone and really just dive into it yeah i mean a lot of people were unhappy with the trailer I, I end up having a, a feeling that there's almost no trailer to it they would have been happy with that, act, that, that in any way accurately represents the game. I think I, I really look forward to it. I have a feeling it's going to be a divisive game and that showing uh, very traditional gameplay would not sell people on it. Uh, I mean, the game is guaranteed to disappoint I feel like I feel like a majority of people are this thing's going to come out and this is coming from the guy that created Metal Gear and oh everyone loves Metal Gear I mean most people love Metal Gear and or at least have strong feelings about what Metal Gear is and the spectacle and how that world works that this 
I feel like it will inevitably disappoint a lot of people. I feel like it's an uphill battle for Kojima and it might very well disappoint me. And I feel like I'm ready for that, but I'm just ready to experience it either way. One of the weird things is Metal Gear's, uh, Metal Gear Solids, I, I should say, two through five were all a disappointment to large parts of the audience. Um, the only one 100%. that was the only one that was like a unmitigated beloved thing was Metal Gear Solid. After that, every single game was divisive, and I'm totally okay with that. What I what I think to me was so strong about the showing for uh, for Death Stranding was showing that it continues being uncompromisingly itself and mm-hmm. a unique experience. And that, that sounds odd, but uh, particularly, you know, we, we joked a little bit about like the way video games, uh, they often have the Armageddon deep impact problem where it's like, oh, that's the other pirate MMO-ish thing going on. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a joke about how many samurai games were being shown at E3, although one of them everyone calls a samurai game, but is a ninja game because those are slightly <laughs> different. But, uh, you know, there is a lot of uh, similarity going out there. And at the end of that trailer, you still felt this is going to be an experience that is not like any other game that was shown during this week, right? Mm-hmm. There was, yep. we saw like 50 other games. Uh, many of them it's like this is a sequel or this isn't a genre or this isn't a style you're familiar with even something that I feel like uh, was kind of weird you're like I know that type of weird like I've done that and then there was Jeff Stranding where people were like wait so what is happening why is he carrying things over a mountain wait he's still being charged by uh, a baby why is that umbrella shaped like that when umbrellas can be shaped well um there were a lot of these these moments yeah you're some type of delivery man as far as you can tell and you know that's not a standard thing that you see in games and that's just exciting and you're right you know kojima for better or worse stands alone his stuff is so different from the last, even within his own franchises. Like you said, the Metal Gear games are very, very divisive. Um, I, you know, my favorite's Metal Gear Solid 2, probably, and that's probably one of the most universally hated ones. So I'm just excited to see him get weird and see what he does. I think one of the odd things, compare. I'm going to compare this, I, I feel like... Uh, for any random listeners, I used to work as a film critic. I mostly write books now, so I'm I'm very involved with some of these other industries, and I used to write for our, uh, music magazine and spent a lot of time following them. But every other industry, um, the what you'd call like the art pieces, you know, because these are all pop culture. There's a there's a popular part. They're all industries, right? They're all trying to make money, but. Um, Within them, the really arty stuff tends to be a little bit more unique than video games. Like, when people talk about that's an arty indie game, it still is usually, like, a platformer or a roguelike. Mm-hmm. It's still very, very identifiably something versus, say, if I were going to talk about an art film and I'd be like, oh, I saw the Godard movie. You're like, what genre is it? And I was like, 
I don't know, man. It has subtitles in four languages, and the characters talk to the camera, and then it has subtitles for ten minutes. I don't know. So that that, or you know, within literature, uh, I have this problem with my own stuff. It's like, what is that book about? Well, a lot of the arty stuff is not going to have a genre. It's not something that you've seen before. It's not a riff on something old. Um, but video games, the art stuff, you know, one one of the er like art games was braid and it's mm-hmm. mario like it's a riff on mario and the meanings going on there and it does some interesting things with the mechanics of it and how that deals with storytelling great um but it's mario and uh i get excited to see something that isn't a genre piece but still somehow made a deal with the devil to get a triple a budget because yeah that's exactly you know, he's he's an artsy guy with a blockbuster budget which you just rarely rarely see i i would i don't know of another i mean i i can i can feel like i can name the other instances almost on one hand it's like i don't know uh tetsuya mizuguchi's res i think had a you know i think of that as like a weird art thing that has that's kind of its own thing. They got a big budget. I, I have trouble even thinking of many others. And again, like even the indie games, almost every indie game, I feel like they're, they take the seven different main genres for video games and they, they try to riff on them or they splatter them or they just put a, a new story spin on them. But like, you know, when people are like Undertale, it's kind of Earthbound. It's like, well, Earthbound's mechanics are still dragon quest this is not a new uh this is not mm-hmm. a new thing uh and that's that's yeah. not even to yeah i mean that doesn't not even to, to diminish what those games do but it's just the reality of it is yeah so much of it is built on things and kachima does take the time to often reinvent what he's doing and like he's even reinvented his own stealth engines time and time again would it would have been easier just to crib off the last game far more directly yeah, it would, it would have been easier for me, that's for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah. For me, too. For me, too. Uh, that, that would be cats in the background of my house uh, jumping on each other. But, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but <laughs> in any case, so I feel your excitement for Death Stranding, and I, I completely, I think that's completely reasonable. I'd, I understood why people were disappointed, but I my general feeling was that those were people who want uh, the same, at least a closer to the same experience. And again, I think you're right when you're saying not to denigrate people doing cool twists. Like, I love game that just takes something I already like and, and does it better or more polished or in a new way I haven't thought of before. Who doesn't? But... Um, there is something for to be said for the totally unique. It's kind of, um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit, uh, not on the podcast, but just in person about uh, the first time you play a Souls. Or, you know, when I was playing Metal Gear, Gear Solid, the first time I was doing that, there are these experiences where it's like, oh, no, that was something very, very new and weird to do the first time you played a Souls game. I have the feeling mm-hmm. Death Stranding is going to have the, this is whatever it ends up being, I, I at least given what they've made us expect and what I hope for the game is even if it's a disappointment, which it almost can't help but be, um, that at least it's uh, a first and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like anything I've, I've ever done before. And 
if it delivers that, uh, it will at least uh, succeed on some level. Yeah, definitely. And after the last thing I'll say about it is after what I've seen at this point, I I can't promise that I will, but I'm going to try. I am ready to go on a bit of a media blackout on that game to really just kind of discover it at this point when it comes out. I'm going to play that game regardless of what the reviews are because I've enjoyed and also had such strong feelings about his game so much in the past that this will be one that I I won't be able to miss. I played Metal Gear Survive, which isn't one of his games, but I played it because it wasn't one of his games because I needed to know. (laughs) So, And this will be another one of those cases where I just need to know and experience it for myself. I yeah I think that's totally valid and um, I I as much as video games are collaborative art there is something very cool about uh, the few people who do seem to have very singular visions um, what that means totally different in different cases different in Japan different here different when it's indie um, you know. There's no one size fits all for this medium in particular, but like uh, the fact is he has a singular vision and it, it promises to um, promises to be different and interesting. So uh, more than anything else, I think the excitement is warranted for for the new and for the bold, even if um, you know my question was not what are you mo- what do you think will be the best game out of this list? I think you would have a very different answer, but I yes. my my question was what do you what is the most exciting? And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that 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 was the most exciting thing. I I I feel unless you're an incredibly jaded person, uh, probably is not the best game. There are some really great developers who showed what promises to be great stuff. Uh, but it it was definitely the one that makes you go, well, this is going to be an experience. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what else has excited you from this show? I, I was very taken in by... Uh, I was very taken in by one of the the samurai games and the ninja game if to put it as simple as possible and uh the i i did i knew very very little about uh ghost of tsushima um i have never played any game by the developer i they never seemed like my type of thing actually to be to be totally honest i i think i have one on playstation plus or something i have a copy seems very likely yeah one of them at the very least was part of the apology of the great psn Mm. outage of whenever so you probably have one of the infamous games from the ps3 yeah i think i actually have both of them through something and i've never played them because they just never uh what i'd seen as as much as uh now you get as well as the cats playing you get the the train in the background to to show (laughs) that i live across the street from a uh from uh train tracks and uh you get you get used to it but uh mm-hmm. yeah it, 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 you may get some some of the train whistle and some of the house shaking but uh I, I hear the whistle i don't hear the house shaking which is 
Good news. <laughs> that that sounds frightening if that's the case. Uh, again, you get used to it. <laughs> but uh, so I, what I saw of Ghost of Tsushima was obviously very, very gorgeous. To me, it was the best looking thing graphically, which is kind of a surprise because, frankly, the PlayStation 4 doesn't look as good as the uh, the Xbox One X. Xbox One X is just a better better machine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and but to me it was the most beautiful. I felt like the combination of art design and technology was really there. What I saw of the gameplay looked really interesting. Uh, it looked like something that would appeal to me. It looked like... Um, and then I read a little bit more with uh, interviews and such. It, unlike their previous games, it's supposed to be very linear story-based, which um, in the vast majority of cases, I prefer. Mo- which is not to say that I, I wish that all games were, were linear. It's more that most story-based games, the choices are dumb. So that that's a different thing. It's like I I want choices. I just want good choices. And if your if your choices aren't good, I'd rather they weren't there. So um, I was very excited by that. And then the other thing I was surprised excited by, which is probably what you would have thought was Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, which is uh, from Software and is in fact being uh, directed by Hidetaka Miyazaki. Hmm. And published by Activision, which was a shocker to me. Yeah, um, it it was a shocker. I, I, I read a little bit of when, when they were asked why their response was not that much. I I think it's just a matter of, at that point in time, from software could literally go like put out a bidding war and say, uh, this is going to be our next big game how much will people mm-hmm. give and activate and put toward put forth the most money that is my legitimate guess of how that happened no and that makes sense and activision needs more stuff right now you know the, the numbers are you know waning on the call of duty franchise and they need fresh ip so this seems like a good move on their part yeah i one of the things that draws me towards shadows die twice is the fact that it is not just a from software game it is directed by Miyazaki, and there is a difference. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I thought that it looked very fun, but I also know that in terms of how it's supposed to play, uh, seems fairly different from the Souls game. I, I've read interviews about it and uh, read impressions, but uh, even faster than Bloodborne, but also the idea of the game's combat changed more from uh, do a bunch of damage real quickly and die. But the way that they've been trying to redo combat is a lot of dealing with each other's stances, lo- looking for a weakness, and then killing in one in one hit. And basing the game around that as an idea, which is a very, very mm-hmm. interesting... He's trying to redo the way combat works, and uh, to me, it seems very interesting. It seems uh, he's been very, very definite in interviews about saying it is not a Soulsborne. Like, it is mm-hmm. not the same genre. It's still a first-person action, but it is very different. 
Uh, he's also said that it's uh, much more story-based, which to me is intriguing. I, I actually think he is an excellent storyteller, but one of the issues of his games is uh, you've always been an everyman. And in Sekiro Shadows Day Twice, you are a definite character. That changes things. And because mm-hmm. you're a definite character, uh, he was asked, I think it was in by Eurogamer, uh, it could be wrong, he was asked about, like, so are you going to tell this story entirely environmentally? And he was like, well, this story is going to be a lot more than what people think of for our previous games. Still more elliptical than most games, but because you are a character, it's going to be telling their story arc. And to me, that was a very... Um, I, I love the stories that he tells, but he has to tell them in a very strange way. And, and I'm really interested in seeing him uh, take on a definite person's uh, story, not being like you're an everyman wandering through this world. It is, no, you are this particular ninja doing this particular thing. Uh, it, it, it feels like it opens up a variety of options. And like, uh, as much as Bloodborne's my, you know, I felt like it was a nice twist on the Souls formula. I'm really excited to see um, Miyazaki push himself out of that even further. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it the other day, and I was saying how, I mean, I'll gladly play more Soulsborne games, but, you know, they've they've lost their charm to me, you know, just because I've, I've played three uh, Dark Souls games. I've played Bloodborne. I've played Demon Souls. At this point, you know, I, I know the formula pretty well. So I am very excited to see him branching out further. And to your point about, you know, being a more story driven experience, I think there's more story, more cutscene in the trailer than there probably is in some of the Dark Souls games. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, you know, the combat itself, you know, looking at the trailer, I look at it and I go, Ooh, you know, it's, it's, my initial reaction, not knowing if I didn't know it was a Miyazaki game, I'd honestly be less excited for it because I look and go, that that's not my kind of combat that I'm seeing in this trailer. But I also do know that I can trust him to balance these games. He has a reputation for making such difficult games, but there's usually a way that he makes them fair. And even if this is not my kind of combat in this game, I, I have a trust in him that it will be something I'll be able to play through and feel good about. Yeah. I I feel like he's he's earned that uh which which is an important thing and I I also feel like um he there's a certain type of polish that he seems interested in uh he has he has a very obsessive eye towards detail and mm-hmm. uh and kind of how that has to do with mechanics where i feel very confident uh especially with like an activision budget that he will deliver something and yeah i i don't know if it'll be as much your sort of thing as mine honestly like you mm-hmm. didn't lo- you didn't enjoy the speed of bloodborne i know um, no I, I it was a little too hack and slashy for me and i i, I didn't like it as much as dark souls because i was a you know, sword and shield kind of guy through most of that game. So I liked the pace of those games better, but I do love Bloodborne a whole lot. So, 
Yeah, and well, you know, when you think of a faster-paced version of that sort of thing, it's actually kind of gets towards uh, one of my other favorite studios, Platinum. Very, very mm-hmm. fast-paced, uh, character-based action, uh, hand-to-hand sort of thing. So I, it seems up my alley. It seems like he happens to be making something that um, I, I can tell unless... Reviews are like abysmal. I I can tell I'm going to lose, fifty hours of my life in that game. Like uh, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, I I wanted to see him do something that wasn't a, a Soulsborne. Would I be happier if it were slightly more different? Probably, but then again, I feel like he. I feel like he's kind of following his muse, and what I loved about his Ninja World was it was kind of nuts. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot more gonzo, um, almost towards, uh, I don't know, uh, it made me think a little bit of the God of War, what I see, you know, huge things, magic, ridiculousness uh, that you don't really see in the in the Souls games. It feels bigger and uh, cartoonier and... Uh, I don't know. I I appreciate kind of that move. So to me, it was it was the uh, the samurai game and the ninja game. I know there's another samurai game. I'm sure that um, Neo Two will be good, but I haven't played Neo. And you know, as you said about the Souls fatigue, it's it's a real thing. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. long games. You know. Yeah, they're long and they're demanding, and they require a certain amount of attention that I can't always give. Yeah, I, I that is a lot more so than other long games. Like a really long RPG, there are probably really long segments of grinding, and particularly now with like a Switch, where you can kind of be like, "Eh, I'll go deal with that." Then uh, I have in the middle of Zelda Breath of the Wild, I was like, oh, "I really don't want to, don't want to do any cooking. Be able to just do a bunch of cooking in the background while I do other things." <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm definitely guilty of that for sure yeah. that's partly why i love my switch is i can do that kind of stuff i can do the dumb things while i'm watching tv or whatever or yeah i can cook i can cook in zelda while i'm actually cooking yeah definitely <laughs> i i enjoy that uh it is somehow the zelda dish that's just like mushrooms and a potato comes out looking much better than what i cook but uh, <laughs> you know whatever uh, mm-hmm you mentioned uh platinum do you did you get a chance to look um at babylon's fall from square i saw the trailer it didn't to me i am excited about platinum making things i yeah i play everything they release that i can um uh to me the trailer didn't really mean anything uh, mm-hmm. That was actually one of the cases uh, when I was like, "There's a, there's just a couple of things where I was like, I don't really know if this is a much of a thing." And uh, Babylon's Fall uh, was one of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad for them to get work. I like their games. Uh, and then Square also showed The Quiet Man. I was like, okay. Uh, whatever <laughs> those, those were those were some of the exceptions to the the rule of things feeling very finished and very directed i didn't get a sense that babylon's fall 
Like it was almost a video you make for like a pitch, right? So like, can we here square give us funding? What's your game going to be? Check this out. <laughs> okay. We made near trust us. Yeah. And yeah. they did make near it'll be, I, I don't really think platinum, uh, if they're given a budget, I think they make a good game. I think that they make a game pretty much on par with whatever budget they're given. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some of their licensed things where they're given very little, I think they delivered very little. But, uh, you know. You really need to play Near Automata. Uh, it, that game feels like it had a very small budget, and I've seen interviews that lead me to believe that further. But that one actually does manage to rise above its budget in a lot of ways. So I'm excited for you to play that someday. It being the platinum game, the one that I, I really enjoyed. I look forward to it. I think they're, they were also given free reign in a way that when they're told make a Transformers action game, there are certain limits. You know, like there's this, there's the budget, but there's also the like, um, you're going to make a, a basic fighter. You're going to have six levels. Like when a, when a studio pitches a publisher um, or when they're trying to win a bid for a game, there are certain parameters of this is how long it is. This is what it is. Uh, for everything I've heard about Nier, it doesn't sound like there were any parameters. It felt like the crazy director was just like, okay, let's, let's, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I, I do really look forward to Nier because, uh, you know, we started by talking about how different Death Stranding sounds. Nier sounds really different to me. <laughs> it yeah. sounds very strange in a, in a really good way. And, uh, seems like a, something i should check out later this year for sure yeah it's it's far from perfect there's a lot wrong with that game i'll say but you can't help but feel something while you play it so which is partly why i love it so much so we've been talking about uh these are the most exciting um death stranding was what, what most excited you that was almost a given. Can you tell me one other thing that came out and made you go, uh, I need to get that one of that? Like, I, I need that day, day one. Day one, day one. Let me quickly skim through this again because there's there's been a couple things that caught my attention at the very least. Crackdown 3 looked great. Makes me wish I had an Xbox because I loved Crackdown 1 and that looked over to- over the top in a way that I haven't seen for a while, Which so that was exciting. Um Looking through, I'm very excited about Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Uh, I've, I've liked the last two quite a bit. This one, it's, it's showing at Square was almost indistinguishable from The Last of Us in some weird ways, which I found <laughs> kind of funny. You know, crawling through the weeds and with a, with a bow. bow on your back, stabbing people in the neck. Like, Lara has definitely gone very uh, extreme murder in this new one which i'm interested to see which is a weird thing to say it made me but, think you know, of the old joke joke cola label uh with their logo it used <laughs> to be twice the, twice the sugar four times the caffeine i felt like t- shadow of the tomb raider twice the tombs four times the rating mm-hmm. it, 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 it was very between that and last of us it was kind of a competition of like you think you can do grizzly killing Oh, watch how grisly we can kill things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, th- I think to answer your question about what's a day one purchase, um, 
I didn't expect it to be, but after watching the trailer, uh, Resident Evil 2, the remake, looked mm. really good. And I, as a fan of that franchise for a long time, I am so much more excited about that remake than I was for 6, than I was for 7, which I still haven't even touched. This, I'm, I'm excited to see that franchise go back to its roots is the wrong word because they are definitely modernizing that game but they're modernizing it to the point of the resident evil franchise to where i enjoyed it from the looks of things it's gonna play far more like resident evil 4 than than the later stuff and it's also getting back to zombies rather than weird weird boulder see you're you're secretly interested in platinum too since that was uh hideki kamiya's uh you know breakthrough game his first game as a director and then he later on (laughs) went over to do okami and bayonetta and wonderful 101 and uh i think he's returning at least he's supposed to return for uh to direct bayonetta 3 oh so fair enough then (laughs) i did not actually realize that so cool yeah yeah that was it's the weird you know capcom when they lost all their big directors he was one of the one of them Mm. and uh i i'm really excited because the old resident evil games as much as they're not actually very unavailable um they're like kind of (laughs) unplayable they're they're they they didn't age well I'd argue that many of them have aged okay, but like the Souls games, they're a commitment. Oh my god! You need to kind of live and breathe them. I, that may be that may be correct, and I don't have the patience for games that, particularly the saving system. Um, yep. As, as like an adult, that type of awful saving system is just very rough. I mean, I often find the souls games rough and not having a real pause you know that is difficult Mm -hmm. um not having uh not having unlimited saves if i just go back to the place uh having to find ribbons and dealing with the camera and uh yeah the commitment involved always seemed like it would outdo the level of fun and uh so looking at that trailer made me go all right I, I can actually get not the original Resident Evil 2 experience, but I can get a, a Resident Evil experience that is probably more enjoyable for me in 2018. Probably, definitely. Like those those older games, to play them is to commit to them. To play, you need to set aside, okay, I'm going to play for an hour. You can't just be, I'm going to play this for 15 minutes, and if something comes up, it comes up. So, yeah, I'm excited. Oh, no, they haven't said anything about the save system in this game, but I can't imagine <laughs> they'll go back to the limited saves and the limited save ribbons of the old games. But they may put that mode in there, but I can't imagine they'll apply that to everyone. Yeah. So, no, that's actually a really interesting thing, and I think that was one of the biggest uh, surprises of E3 for me. Was there anything that disappointed you as far as, you know, something that didn't get talked about or didn't get announced? Of what we saw, I thought Anthem didn't look very exciting to me. Um, I don't know if I had super high expectations, though, so I don't know. That might not be 100% fair. Um, 
I don't think it's been showing well. It it the gameplay they showed, it looked like the AI wasn't even in it yet as far as enemies go. I don't think they got attacked at all in that trailer. Maybe that's just my memory of it, but I don't feel like anything attacked them. I feel like every bit of that gameplay trailer was them flying into an area and just opening fire on a stationary object. My knowledge of like how the Mass Effect, particularly Mass Effect 1 came together very 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 late. Um makes me think that this is a repetition and that the systems are not in place and Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know it's been in development for forever but it's been in development in forever that to me is in a a way that tends to lead to less interesting games and that the studio's future seems to depend on it and that to me Mm -hmm. tends to lead to a different thing than we've been in development forever because some weird guy has a weird vision like mm-hmm. that to me can, you know, I'm not going to say it'll lead to something great, but it's, I, I have a feeling it's going to have so many um, corporate hands in it that it's going to come out bland and nothing that I saw made me go, uh, this is not going to come out bland. It, it looked to me like, um, mm, oh, which is like a not as good destiny sort of thing so yeah and i mean of course i want it to be great but yeah i just wasn't impressed and i i'm hoping that it's one of those things that does manage to come together and it is something that doesn't show well i don't think destiny showed well before its launch either probably not and you know uh it's hard for me to get a sense of what the actual gameplay loop would be, even though they're theoretically showing gameplay. And if that does come together, then awesome. Um, but I, I guess I kind of avoided your question, and you asked me if there's something that wasn't announced. Um, well, I mean, that, that was another part of it. That was just an angle to look at it from. I mean, to throw my own spin on that, I didn't. they didn't show a Splinter Cell game. <laughs> which I thought was a given. It was part of the Walmart Canada leak. Of course, it was going to get shown, and there was nothing about Splinter Cell, so I was a little sad about that. Mm, that made sense. And I think you were with a lot of people in that. That seemed to disappoint a lot of people. Um, uh, what were the other big things? Uh, Metroid? I think people just thought they'd see even like 30 seconds, just more than a logo. Yeah. Maybe just a little thing being like, she's back. And then they fade <laughs> to black, and it sh- and then it shows her logo, right? There's there's sure. there's my there's my 15 second teaser. I, um, I think I would have been upset about that more than I would have been disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> like if they did, or then me being disappointed not seeing it, because like if they just showed another non another nothing, I I yeah, I mean the logo was nothing. I was disappointed with how much they showed of that, and if it was just more of that, like I think that would have been more disappointing than mm-hmm. not showing that one at all. So hopefully that means for me, as far as the Splinter Cell thing goes, maybe that's somewhere on the horizon, but mm. who knows? The Final Fantasy VII was a big no-show, I guess. People seem to really mm-hmm. think it was going to happen, and I didn't because I don't think it's... I don't think it's coming out anytime in the next two to three years, so I'm like, eh. Yeah, that's a hard one. I think they may... 
you know, they talked about doing episodically. So people expected to see maybe something from that first area playable, but yeah, still nothing. The thing Uh, about the episodic model, as far as making a game goes, and they might have figured this out, is that it does not lead to AAA games. (laughs) It is a terrible development model. I think there's been one successful version of it that I can think of, and Square, the company that would theoretically be behind this Final Fantasy VII thing, got rid of the company that did it, which would be Hitman and Idos. Yeah. So um, that was the that was the only success, and I that felt like a freak, like they happened to stumble on it. But it, it, that also get, mm-hmm. that allows you to iterate on a core gameplay thing. Whereas Final Fantasy VII, every new area is new assets. And that's what's mm-hmm. impossible for a um, for episodic gaming is creation of new assets, and it's why Telltale games all look like they came out on the PlayStation One. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and to correct myself, I said IDOS. I meant IO for Hitman. Mm. So, so uh, I think I, I feel like many people were disappointed. I weirdly um, I want to see Yoshi just because I, I I like Nintendo games. <laughs> uh, but I, I also wasn't I think because I didn't have that much uh, that I was like have to see and the big thing that I was like I really want to see were um, they showed yeah so yeah I think yeah my main missing thing was that Splinter Cell thing and you know like I said at the start of all this is so much of the show was very solid um, and just to quickly go down the list I mean there's just a lot of games to look at that you know ea ea had a great lineup battlefield anthem unraveled 2 looks neat as much as i wasn't interested in the first one and that was a surprise announcement of it being out that moment and they had their usual stuff like madden etc bethesda came out swinging with you know fallout rage 2 a new doom which i loved the last doom so i'm excited to see more about that i can't get too excited about it because i haven't seen enough and I'm, I'm afraid that the first Doom, or not first Doom, you know, the first new Doom was a fluke, but I, I can't wait to see more from that. And Wolfenstein, the Young Blood, you know, I've liked the last two. I'm excited to see what that brings. And Prey DLC, I still need to play Prey, but that's cool that they're supporting that. Yeah, to me, everything that was, uh, what I think of as the French Bethesda stuff, Rage, Doom, Prey, Wolfenstein looked really good <laughs> versus the core things that Bethesda, you know, originated uh, Fallout, you know, modern Fallout and Elder Scrolls both for like whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, the rest of it, I was like, yeah, no, yeah. it looks very cool. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I, I forgot one key thing, though, on Bethesda's thing, and I'm, I forget the name of the game every time but bethesda is making that sci-fi rpg game and i hope that turns out cool even though it sounds like it's in the framework of fallout and skyrim and all that kind of stuff i'm still excited to see that extend beyond because there was that rumor quite a few years back or i guess it wasn't a rumor i think it was confirmed that obsidian was working on kind of a sci-fi space time traveling mm-hmm. game within that engine and as disappointing as is it's not that game. I'm still excited to see them get beyond Fallout and Elder Scrolls. That actually, uh, I had that playing in the background. Uh, my wife cracked up at it uh, because she was like, wait, did sh- did they just say they haven't made a new game in 25 years? I was like, a game franchise, you know, like a new IP. And she's like, wait, seriously? They haven't come up with a really new idea in 25 years? I was like, yep. 
nope. <laughs> yep. So that that was and she was just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's uh that's why we get excited about Death Stranding. But yep. uh uh yeah, I I felt like all of their shooter stuff, all of their shooters sounded good and their RPGs sounded um like games I I won't play. But yeah. that doesn't doesn't mean that they're bad games, but it means that I will be um, letting them pass me by for other experiences. Yeah, and and I'll probably check them out because I mean I do as much as Elder I've never finished an Elder Scrolls game like the main quest, but I've also put it takes many, many like hours two hours, Blake. You can finish. I know. The, grab whatever Elder Scrolls save file you have and be like, oh, I'll go mainline the quest. Oh, I'm done. The writing's so bad. <laughs> you're gonna have to get some really bad writing along the way that's true like they're the only games where the side quests are so much more interesting than the main quest i don't know how it happens but yeah yeah i'm not sure <laughs> but uh to move on you know microsoft i think had a really great show they didn't have a lot of first party stuff that was super exciting at least to you know you and me i mean i am excited for more gears of war and more halo but they're kind of known quantities but they still showed a really great lineup and like some surprising stuff like having Devil May Cry 5 on their stage, which is extra weird because of the reboot that existed between 4 and 5. I, I actually, but, that's kind of my favorite thing about Devil May Cry. I love that they did like a Marvel, we have multiple Devil May Cry universes thing. Um, <laughs> I don't think they realized they did that. They, <laughs> but whatever. I, I, I think it's hilarious and... Um, People also people liked the last side whatever we want to call the other Devil May Cry things a lot more than they liked four, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked it quite a bit, and I didn't care about that franchise at all. Yeah, that was it's weird. very it's very reminiscent of Ubisoft when they did their uh, what year was that? I'm trying to remember what year that would have been, but they did that uh, Prince of Persia reboot with the uh, cel shaded oh, yeah. kind of artsy look. That game was really cool, and then they went back to their Sands of Time timeline and released another game in that that was kind of disappointing so we'll never see a sequel to the one i liked but yeah well i i liked the dying light trailer enough and i like chris avalon enough where i was i I bought the first one so i yep and we'll we'll dive into that co-op i'm excited uh, once i'm back from a small writing retreat in vermont but um yeah, I. The main complaint I heard from everyone about Dying Light was about the story. People seemed to think it was a very fun experience, mm. but you know the story was nonsense. So they did what I would do, which is to hire the best freelance writer they could. <laughs> like, and, and when he was explaining and going through how he wants them to implement implement choice and consequences, I was like. This sounds very cool. Um, I don't think he's trying to use it to tell Shakespeare. I think he's trying to make the Dying Light's uh, actual mechanical battle systems more fun. And I think that that is the right focus. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't try to make choice and consequence be deep. Make choice and consequence affect how the game plays. And that seemed exactly to me the right direction for that. So it seems cool. Yeah. Yeah definitely 
yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into the first one and then knowing that he's attached to the second one, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, see where that goes. Uh, Microsoft announced a new Battletoads. I, yay. That game sucks. <laughs> the original is not a good game, so it's hard to be excited about a new I, one. Short of na- now poor GameStop employees get more 4chaners calling asking for Battletoads. But this time, GameStop employees can go, yeah, here I, it is. So maybe I that's really good. I enjoyed watching Bennett Foddy and, uh, and Tim Rogers try to play through the... Uh, play through that one level on, on Kotaku for an hour as they failed on mm-hmm. just infinite repeat, not having to go back to the end, just going on a save states through it and not beating it, not beating it for an hour. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep, that, yep. That seems about right. That's that game. Yeah. So and, yeah. Uh, and then there's cyberpunk 2077, which we talked briefly about last time. And yeah, sure enough, it was part of Microsoft's show. You nailed that one as part of your prediction. And I mean, that game looks great as we kind of expected it would. CD Projekt puts out great stuff. So I'm excited to see more from that. It'll be fantastic whenever it comes out and it won't yep. come out until it's ready. They yep. they were very definite about not putting a date on. I would guess, um, my guess would be probably around this time or something next year. Uh, as much as the what they showed is very polished and I, I'm gonna guess they have a very clear idea they just take their time and uh, it'll it'll be good whenever it, it reaches these shores. Yeah. yeah, and it'll be better a year later after they've redone an entire system of movement and added a bunch of free DLC yeah. among other things. <laughs> yeah, so it'll it's like that looks like it'll hit it out of the park um, just a matter of when. So very cool and uh, all of that was like yeah, it, it was, as he said, a really good show. Um, I The exclusives still are not quite enough to make me want a new Xbox. However, their, con- their dedication to having everything from the past available makes me actually go, uh, you know, I would be interested in, say, like buying, uh, buying an Xbox uh next generation a past generation one being able to play everything from the original and from the 360 and from the one and knowing that everything is very compatible um that sort of uh that sort of thing there's like enough out there with like a new crackdown and such um it feels like a there's a lot there they just still they showed off a lot of the marquee games they just weren't exclusives yeah and I mean, I think ultimately that's fine. Microsoft's setting their own stage to kind of do a different thing at this point with their PC connectivity and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see where they go with it and what they do in the future. And I, I don't think um, Xbox owners have anything to be bummed out about moving forward. Yeah, totally. There, there was, there was a lot shown. There was a lot. So. Um, Ubisoft didn't show Splinter Cell. They showed a Division Two. That what do, what do you think of the Division Two? Um, I I mean I'm sure it'll be fine, and I bet it sounds like they're doing a lot to make fans of the last game that stuck with it happy 
for this one. I had some issues with the very core mechanics of that game that kept it from being great for me, but it sounds like they're doing right by fans. So good on them. I suspect you and I will probably play it at some point after a price drop, but they didn't do anything to make me super excited to jump back in. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And uh, that's fine. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2, I feel like, was their one of their other really, really big things. There is Assassin's Creed also, but I just have nothing it's, to say. It's one year it's one year after Origins. Like people people were excited that, you know, they took some time off to get Origins right and then they're coming right back at you with another one so quickly it feels a little rushed. So it's hard to be excited, especially when this one looks so much like the last one. I mean it might be great, but this, it's hard to be excited. This one has dialogue trees. True. That was that was like the back of the box feature that they put in. <laughs> dialogue trees, and I was like, "Wow, you guys discovered 1996 pretty hard." Mm, one step closer to The Witcher Three is kind of what the back of the box should say. So, <laughs> so but, yeah, yeah. Beyond Good and Evil Two looks great. I'm still not sure what to expect from that game, given what the last game was. You know, I I really love Beyond Good and Evil One. Um, I it made me want to go back and replay that game. So I'm probably going to do that hopefully sometime before that game, before two comes out. I think you should too. It's a neat, neat little game. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. And you know, I, I don't need to see more of that game at this point. I think one of the funny things about Ubisoft's presentation was how much of it was a Nintendo presentation, which goes back to the, my point about everyone being super disappointed with Nintendo showing. It's like, well, yeah, because half of it was at Ubisoft. Yeah, the Donkey Kong DLC. Man, everything I've heard about Mario and Rabbids, Mario versus Rabbit, I don't know, um, uh, <laughs> looks so good. And the Donkey Kong DLC uh, from people who played it, the best type of DLC is DLC that fundamentally alters um, the original game so much that it, it it kind of renews it, you know, in whatever way. Mm-hmm. And there are different ways you can renew the story, you can renew the gameplay. It sounded like it renewed the gameplay, which um, looked good. And then the Star Fox thing for Starlink, Starlink I would have never even paid attention to. I still probably wouldn't get it. But at least it, it it's now in my um, I'll read news stories and, and keep track of it in a way where previously like I think I, w- I was sending you messages before like until the Star Fox thing it looked like the most middle road space game I had ever seen to the point where it's just like Ubisoft <laughs> says space game has space in a game first time ever it's like mm-hmm. yeah that seemed to be what they were advertising so the nintendo stuff looked good yeah it all looked good and i think ubisoft show was really unique and cool so that that was neat to see oh, it was um, a really fun show it was it was actually the the donkey kong stuff there was one of my favorite ways of showing any any game i've ever seen at e3 like it was you know, we don't have anything to say. Here's some here's some cool music, and we're gonna edit this to it in a way that feels great. Mm-hmm. And then and then jumping to another thing like Sony, Sony 
kind of pioneered that idea. They had the live orchestra mm. on stage for the God of War reveal. That was their big thing. And this year they tried doing like live music too with their stuff. They and built I think a church. Extremely. F- they built a church. <laughs> they got a guy out there with a banjo and he confused people for a while before they started showing a thing. Like Sony showed some good stuff. I think Sony's show was terribly paced and I'm going to say pretentious. They built a church. <laughs> I, <laughs> True. I, and they made everyone walk from thing to thing while, like, obviously neither of us were there. We, were, we watched it online, and uh, uh, we just had awkward people at a desk. And it was like, yeah. what, is, what is going on? Why would you, you know, ultimately... Nintendo doesn't even show up because there's so little point, yet you're making people walk from place to place. I think uh, you can chill out with this, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, I think their show was bad, even though they showed a great lineup of games. They showed four exclusives, that uh, each one of which looks great. And mm-hmm. I am totally cool with people saying any one of those four don't or all of them don't but at the very least they're going to be these are all triple a games these are all the huge huge exclusives and they showed them off they the footage from each of the games was good the spectacle around them was distracting as all could be Mm -hmm. yeah it just it seemed broken and i get even to the people that were there that knew that they were being shepherded from thing to thing i think they were even super confused and it's just i i'm afraid for sony like this kind of mentality reminds me of kind of the hubris that leads to their next console being bad and poorly launched the cell squared confirmed yeah pretty much pretty much they i I feel like they feel they can do no wrong so i'm worried i want them to dial it back in the future but that being said you know they showed a little bits of resident evil 2 remake they showed the control thing um neo 2 exists uh kingdom hearts 3 got one of its like five showings but the the cool Mm -hmm. thing was uh they have four big exclusives um Mm -hmm. i expect anyone who owns a playstation 4 will get at least one of them so yeah um, i think that's fair cool absolutely and uh, um and we've talked about nintendo a lot uh nintendo super mario party is exciting uh smash brothers having everyone in it is obviously exciting fire emblem looks great xenoblade chronicles 2 seems weird to me given that i haven't finished the last one and i'm seeing a main character that's an antagonist in a bunch of the art for the new one so i'm even more confused that's awesome that's everything i want it to be yeah i I, i'm now way more behind (laughs) xenoblade chronicles 2 after what you just said (laughs) yeah i don't know but we'll see i don't know if i'm interested in that one i have to finish the one i'm playing now but we'll see uh i'm excited that hollow knight was released on switch this week um Mm. i don't know if you know anything about that game it's a metroidvania so obviously i'm attracted to it but uh, i downloaded that today so i'll (laughs) be able to let you know how that is at some point it's supposed to be really good Yeah. yeah it's supposed to be great so i'm excited I went from saying, I think I had mentioned to you before that I didn't plan on getting the next Smash Brothers because 
I've played a lot, and I I have the Wii U one. I have all the DLC. I liked it quite a bit, but I didn't end up playing it all that much. Um, but I saw the Smash trailer, and I went, you know what? This looks phenomenal. Like, um, it the ultimate seems warranted. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it it legitimately looks like it should be what every Smash player hopes for. I'm sure that there are some people who hate it and say that Melee is the only good Smash Brothers. But you know what? I'm cool never listening to those people. I can't on, wave dash. On anything. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I, <laughs> I, I have very little interest in... I be something about being the type of person who became obsessed about a single game that was released like 15 years ago. I'm like, cool. It is a very good game. And I'm glad you found a community of like-minded people to have fun with. But, um, that does not mean that every other game is bad. (laughs) Yeah. So I, it, there was a part of the ultimate thing where they just spent five minutes intentionally showing, this is how deep our fighting systems are. Mm-hmm. Maybe those will make them happy. I don't think anything will make them happy. Whatever. I mean, I was watching some stuff. It seems like the people that matter are pretty excited about it, but there is that small niche melee community that will, unless you can wave dash it, they're not going to be happy. And I sure hope you can't wave dash because otherwise online will be a nightmare because the people that know how to do it will destroy everybody else. So I'm excited Whereas, to see it. But. I am excited to use a three different link amiibos to set up three different AI links and find out by only training them against each other, which is the true link. <laughs> well, yes. I'll keep I'll keep everyone informed about this in the future. Yeah, my, we'll we'll great, do weekly great, updates. Uh, the great link experiment sounds good, and then some. I'll do the same with mine, and then maybe we can line them up online someday. I would really, really enjoy that, and uh, it's it's just it's so stupid. I think it would be. Uh, we'll definitely have to place bets, but yes, <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. I, I look forward to that. All right. Well, that I think. I mean, there's we could go on talking about E3 forever here. There was so much that it's impossible to cover in a reasonable amount of time, and I don't even want to get too far into the weeds with it. We'll have a chance to talk about a lot of these games later when they start coming out and we get a chance to play them, and I'm, again, just excited to see all this stuff come out and see how good it is. So let's, uh, if you don't mind, let's move on. We got a write-in letter that specifically for you that um, about Hearthstone, about some of your comments that you had last week about the game. So... I, let's let's yeah, see. I, why don't you stick your hand deep into that mailbag and uh, pull it out for us? Okay. So this is from John. Uh, he asks, Sean, as a fellow free-to-play Hearthstone player, I'd like to hear more about what your experience has been with the game. What drove you away, and how did Blizzard change those negatives and convince you to come back? I've been doing very casual... F- I've been doing a very casual free approach since slightly before the release of Knights of the Frozen Throne, and even in that time, I've seen how big the barrier of entry into the real game is. Without dropping more money than I'm willing to spend on building my collection, I have to resign myself to losing almost every game, or I have to find other ways to have fun, like finding ways to make my Dead Man's Hand Warrior deck work. 
I lucked out and got most of the cards I need from opening free packs. What's your strategy for finding the fun in Hearthstone when the nature of the game is seemingly stacked against you as a free-to-play gamer? John. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things. And uh, kind of from the beginning, what drove me away was uh, a lot of... You know, the game, it feels like it's been out for forever sometimes to me. But uh, when it first came out, it had a model that alternated between Magic-style packs and uh, living card game. Uh, maybe we'll talk about these uh, at some point. It's a board game model. Uh, Netrunner uses it. Arkham Horror. There's a Game of Thrones. A lot of Fantasy Flight uh, kind of made it, and then some other publishers have used it. Where Netrunner and, used it. Didn't. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is true. Uh, so where instead of buying packs, if you get it, you get the entire thing. So it gets rid of the randomized. And they used to alternate between them. Then they started uh, doing more Magic-style everything's packs. Then they finally rotated out of doing living card game stuff at all. The reasoning was uh, that there weren't enough cards being put out that way. Like, whenever they did a living card game thing, they'd put out, like, you know, like 50 cards instead of 120. So they're saying that, well, they were just not getting enough cards out there fast enough to keep the game differentiated. I don't think that's the case, and I don't think anyone with a brain would. You mm-hmm. could put out however many cards you wanted with the living card game model. There, there's no, there's not like there's a 50 card limit. There, there's mm-hmm. just a decision of, no, we're only going to put 50 cards out. Um, you could easily put out 120 cards if that's your goal. So obviously they earn a lot more money off of Magic style packs, which is why Magic has not turned to that model. If you have a big enough player ga- base, that is a better model. Whereas if you have a smaller player base, um, it ends up being a lot better. It's a living card game model. Uh, people just won't put up with it and you won't have enough players to play the game. So when they had enough players, they moved on and the fact of it became that uh as john mentioned you started getting behind within having enough of the playable cards to uh if you're free to play and you didn't want to put down a lot of money with every set um you couldn't really keep up in a reasonable fashion because uh it was so much more expensive to get packs and get randomized cards rather than getting the whole set mm-hmm. so that was what was driving me away, uh, as I think it, it, it. There were a lot of people when they were going through these thing, changes. I don't know how many of them left the game. Some people were saying they would. Some people included me. Uh, some people didn't. Didn't. But Blizzard has seemed to f- recognize that the price of the game uh, changed. They actually seem to realize that by doing it this way things are a lot more expensive and have given out a lot more bonuses for players so they started giving out a free legendary card at every release uh, a legendary the most expensive card type uh in the game and crafting them is a lot of the barrier to entry for different uh decks uh, Especially like some of the crazier decks where it's like 10 different legendary cards if you're going to play um, 
like a certain priest deck uh, that's out right now. So um, uh, they did that and they changed it so that you're automatically going to get another legendary in the first 10 packs you're going to get. They started putting out a lot more events. Right now they actually have um, the best event in terms of free-to-play that they've ever run, which is... Uh, instead of your daily quest giving you something like uh, approximately 50 gold, it, now your uh, quest will give out 100 gold and 100 uh, dust, which is what you make new cards out of since you can't trade them. And okay. uh, normally you'd get, uh, if you get a randomized pack, it costs 100 gold. And from that pack, uh, you'll probably get around 40 to 50 dust if, if you get rid of all the cards. So you get more than that just from every single day from playing. And they made the quest super easy so that instead of like win X amount of games, they are uh, just play 10 turns. <laughs> you don't okay. have to do anything. So and that was one of the things that they started doing this year a lot is they decreased so like a lot of the daily quests used to be win five games of this deck type they changed it to win one so okay a lot of these so you, things became easier yeah sorry yeah so you can you're always i mean it seems like an obvious model is you know make people feel like they're always making progress yeah and you know they changed the time commitment required to get things out as a free-to-play player so if you were doing free-to-play before say you got say you're trying to beat the win five games on average uh you'll probably win about 50 percent of your games because that's the way a two-player game model is based around there are mm-hmm. other variables involved but you that's that's what your basically guideline is so say a game takes uh if you're playing a, a slower deck or against slower decks, say a game takes 10 minutes, you need to win five, that's 10 games. That's a lot of time. Uh, Mm. Compare that to what they've done. So they've increased the gold rewards, they've increased, uh, they've decreased the amount of time commitment required, and as a whole, uh, it made it a lot more interesting. And the other thing that they've done to, to make me come back is they've been a lot more aggressively nerfing and balancing the game. They used to kind of, there were certain cards that were very obviously, um, one of them, anyone who plays the game will will know just from the name Patches the Pirate, it's very obviously broken for more than a year, and oh. they just left him there. Uh, okay. It was a um, card you basically had to craft because it was so good to play like half the decks in the game, and uh, it was uh, the difference between whether you drew it or you didn't draw it was vastly different. So completely unbalanced card. Um, they took forever to fix it. Lately this year, they've moved to doing one to two nerfs per every single release. And they've been a lot more aggressive. So that right now, if you look at the... Um, the deck mix that you the metagame that you'll play on an average day it's it's pretty much the most diverse since hearthstone's ever released which is actually kind of crazy um you will regularly if you're going to play 10 decks you will regularly play nine to ten different decks against uh in those 10 games which is very very cool that's cool to hear 
Yeah, that's neat. That's definitely neat. So a lot of my interest came back from uh, from these two things. They made it take a lot smaller time commitment to get more, and they actually made the game more. To me, it's actively much more fun to be playing against more things. Uh, there have been times in the past where. Um, uh, Literally, if you're out of those ten games, uh, six or seven of them would have been against the same type of thing, and it's just it's very boring to do that. So, that's a lot of my interest. I' gonna go to the second part of what John asked, which was about um, without dropping more money, uh, how do you try to try to find fun at the game? I think John found one of the more fun ways, which is to make a fun deck. I think Dead Man's Hand is a really difficult, uh, fun deck to play. That's an awesome deck, John. Um, it's a really skill-testy, um, requires, like, if you're into having to think about a puzzle almost every turn of the game, that is one of the decks you'd play. Um, and so playing that sort of thing is one of the more fun ways. Uh, I have a lot of fun with, uh, yeah, I I love making really ridiculous decks that aren't necessarily um, the best deck you could possibly play, but are definitely um, either give you like a puzzle every turn or going to do really strange things that turn the de- deck upside down. Um, I have uh, a lot of stuff uh, I've played which involves uh, a card called Test Greymane that you base your entire deck against around stealing randomized cards from the other deck's class and just abusing them in weird, strange ways. And I've made decks based around that that are actually pretty good. Um, so they're very fun because they play a different way every single time. Um, but when it comes to t- building collection, one of the things that I've told people who are interested in like, well, the mechanics of this are fun. I like the UI, all of the wacky art. It's great, but it seems expensive. I I tell people to play Arena. So uh, if you don't have enough of a collection, you can play the mode of it that doesn't require you to have a collection and get a sense of the fun. And when you when you realize you do want to do it, is my advice is to do something actually like what John did, and put all of your cards and your dust towards the the particular things you want. You will never be able to play every single uh, every single deck. Um, usually you need to essentially for like a year uh, focus on some of the archetypes and then go, I just am not going to be able to play that. Uh, I it's kind of an annoying thing to be like, oh, that would be a really cool deck, but I don't play Hunter because I didn't decide to craft those three things from the last four sets. Um, but there are actually really high and like very, very successful decks you can play with that only have like one legendary card. There's a mid-range Hunter deck that is like one of the best decks in the game right now. Uh, it requires one legendary card. Uh, there's uh, zoo warlock decks are always very good. There's never been a time when they aren't good, even if people aren't playing them. So there are things you can get into the game with um, fairly minimal investment. 
if you're just looking to to win and be as competitive as possible and get to legend at the end of every month. I know that all of this is nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> it makes enough sense to me. I've, I've dabbled slightly and seen some stories here and there to know enough of what you're talking about. I knew what arena was when you brought it up. So that's at least something, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, um, I quite enjoy finding the little gaps and what people the archetypes that are being played and playing something that uh, kind of counters them. And uh, if you are looking to figure out what to spend your dust on right now, which is also one of the questions, what, one of the first things to do would be to get all of the uh, classic set legendary cards first because they will never go bad and they'll never get ro rotated out, so you'll always be able to use them. It's the best investment. The other thing would be that at the moment... Uh, any uh, Death Knight it, every single Death Knight is good uh, some of them get played slightly less than others but until they rotate out uh, a year from now uh, you will definitely get the most out of those investment like, there will never be a bad time to have and this is just I, I always feel like I'm just saying nonsense when I talk about Hearthstone. But if, if, it, but if you get the Death Knight Gul'dan, uh, he is always going to be played, and he is always going to be good until uh, it's removed. So you, you really can't go wrong with the, with the Death Knight cards. And uh, there would be another really good place to spend your dust. You can make, you know... You can make a very, very good deck that will get you up to, uh, frankly, up to legend, if that's your goal, um, that way. If the real game equals winning tournaments, then you're not going to be able to go to free-to-play. But if your real goal is to get to legend rank, you can do it with a um, just getting Deathstalker Rexar the, the, uh, for Hunter, and doing a mid-range hunter deck and just being able to play that particular deck good enough you will be able to get to the highest level i play um just kind of whatever seems fun to me at that particular time but uh you know it, it it's one of those one of those weird things where i think you can find the fun in a lot of different parts of hearthstone and the thing that burns people out can be the grind fortunately they removed a lot of that from doing the free-to-play grind so now I've had a lot more fun with it this year because I never feel like I need to play f I need to play 10 games to get my gold so that I can get packs instead I feel like ah I can play two games because I feel like it and then skip two days and I can play two games and I'll be t totally fine and uh, it's, it's nice so I, I, I think I'm gonna uh, stop here before I bore every single listener who doesn't play uh, play Hearthstone, <laughs> but I, I I'll bring it up again. I think probably you know next time we're at a release for a set, I'll I'll do a periodic little bit about what seems interesting about the set. But uh, otherwise, I will keep Hearthstone to a minimum. <laughs> Sounds. We'll just put warnings in the appropriate places. It, it's much bigger than a spoiler warning. Hearthstone, not <laughs> absolute nonsense. Yeah, I I grew up playing Magic, and I have. 
like uh i am very interested in a certain type of tactical game i played uh that type of thing appeals to me like i also used to count cards in blackjack and figuring out probabilities and that sort of thing is really interesting like decks like the one that john played really appealed to my um uh a really good card game you can have a difficult choice every single turn and that's a really cool thing that i love in board games and is very infrequent for video games even in like a tactical game like an XCOM, i very rarely have a difficult choice every term in an XCOM. instead i have like two options and if i think about it for five seconds i go well i'll do the good option mm-hmm. yeah there's often a right and a wrong choice Exactly. There tends to be a right and a wrong. With some of the more complex Hearthstone decks, um, there turns out to be a right and a wrong, but it, it's it's a lot less straightforward, especially like... So the deck, deck John plays involves... Uh, if you run out of cards in Hearthstone, uh, you could take more damage and eventually dies. The deck he plays involves reshuffling your deck into your own deck endlessly so that never happens, and they run out of mm. cards and die. You have, you don't kill them with damage. You kill them with hilarity. Um, okay. That sounds so infuriating. It, You're awful it people. Is. But, it, but it, 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 it can be frustrating, but it's, it's also very difficult to play because you have to be very careful about what cards you reshuffle and what cards you don't. And... Uh, you're trying to do this at the same time as you're trying to not be killed by them who are playing like a real deck like a human. So those sorts of things are very uh, interesting and they, they're, there's a, they're different puzzle decks. And right now in the metagame, there's some, um, there's some decks that are actually kind of puzzly. Unfortunately, uh, that's not one of the strongest decks, but um, there are some decks out there that are... Uh, fairly strange and even something like the Midrange hunter deck i mentioned um the power there uh so in hearthstone one thing that makes it different from magic is you have i oh my god anyhow it's uh, <laughs> I, I, I i i can feel i can feel the the sleep on the eyes of the other end of our skype i think i think that's enough i i think that's enough for one day let's make this keep this the e3 podcast and uh and uh uh, end it. I think Blake, uh, feel free to edit at any point you you feel earlier. <laughs> no, I think that was all good and it's super helpful. So we'll just you know I'll I'll be careful about bringing this up in the future. But no, it was it was good stuff and I I do actually like hearing about that game even though I barely touched it. I touched it in beta. So you know we'll we'll, we'll touch on Hearthstone again and I won't edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, you know, let's let's wrap things up. Uh, let's dive into our footnotes here. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I want to ask everyone to visit expositionbreak.com for our written content. Follow us on Twitter at Exposition Break. Uh, send questions and comments to podcast at expositionbreak.com. We're seeing how many times I can say exposition break in a row here. Uh, it, it can be a challenge. It turns out a lot. Right, right. Um, at least I'm not stumbling over it as much as I did last time. So, also, I want to thank Icefields for the use of our theme music, Scenic Route. You can find his music on SoundCloud and icefieldsmusic.com. Uh, he is also on Spotify. 
Uh, and the Exposition Break podcast can be found on Anchor, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. Look for it soon on iTunes and Google Play. Hopefully, it's just uh, working its way through their approval processes. So we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Yo. <laughs> so thanks for joining me as always, Sean. And thanks to all our listeners. And we'll talk to you all next time. I think next time we'll be diving into a discussion on Mass Effect from the Sounds of Things. Looking forward to it. Cool. Well, have yourself a good one and I'll talk to you later. Bye.